So last night when Sheldon said to me, I really don't feel that well, my love, um, my first words were, my first, not, first words in my head was, oh no, man flu. Here we go. <laughs> it takes a lot. But actually, it's real. He's not well. But then the other thought was, what on earth are we going to do today? Because the man was supposed to preach. But um, God's got a funny little sense of humor. So he's been talking to me about a few things. Um, but my plan was that I was only going to deliver most of this on the 13th of March. So you're essentially getting the intro today. Because I really want to make some room for the Holy Spirit to move. Because something's up. Something's up. Can't tell you exactly what it is, but something's up. Last week um, in the meeting, uh, just before I went up to kids work, um, there was some laughing that started in the corner. And I thought, okay, this is, this is great. I like laughing. And I went over to, to the lady and I started praying over her and then walked away just feeling like, I, and then suddenly it's just like a wave just went. And my first thought was, oh no, oh dear, that's far too many to, how are we going to do this? You know, it's an overwhelming thought. And I've been mulling it all week. And I keep coming back to this thing of revival, 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 revival. For a lot of us, revival conjures up images of tents and um, sweaty Pentecostal pastors pushing people down and long lines, and that's what, that's what was part of my experience of revival. It's not that. It's so much more. It's so much more. And I felt God say to me, let's talk about the supernatural. Let's talk about it. We haven't spoken about it. You see, because there's, there's almost two generations sitting in this church. They weren't around in 1994. They weren't around in 1998. They weren't around for those initial moves of the Spirit. They don't know. They don't know. They've heard the stories, but they've not actually seen it in action. And I just want to quickly go to Acts, because that was the first revival. Let's go right back to the beginning. Acts 2. I will not read all of Acts 2, but there's some parts I want to pull out. I am reading out of the Passion Translation. You can roll your eyes inside your head. Okay. On the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples were gathered in one place. Suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering it was, any, it was all anyone could bear. Then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit, were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. Now, at the time, there were Jewish worshippers who had immigrated from many different lands to live in Jerusalem. When the people of the city heard the roaring sound of the crowd, roaring sound of that wind, they came running to where it was coming from, stunned over what was happening because each one could hear the disciples speaking in his or her own language. Bewildered, they said to one another, aren't these all Galileans? So how is it that we hear them speaking in our own language? 
There were northeastern Iranians, northwestern Iranians, Elamites, those from Mesopotamia, Judea, east central Turkey, the coastal areas of the Black Sea, Asia, north central Turkey. Essentially, the world was represented in Jerusalem at the time. And God spoke to each one in their own language. Then it goes down to verse 12. And they all stood there dumbfounded and astonished, saying to one another, What is this phenomenon? But others poked fun at them and said, They're just drunk on new wine. And that's where that line, they're not drunk as you suppose. That was the first. They say that's the birth of the church when the Holy Spirit was released. That was 50 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit really. So I'm just thinking if um, something other than the Southeaster had to whip through this building right now and a pillar of fire manifested itself right here. And in front of your very eyes, not in your mind's eye, in front of your very eyes, that pillar of fire split into tongues of fire and rested onto each one of you. We would just say, cool, lacquer, good day. I can tell you now, when the supernatural manifests itself, it changes everything. When the Holy Spirit manifests himself, it changes everything. That's how my life was changed. I was quite young in 1994. I wasn't too aware of that, but I encountered the blessing of 1994 and 1998 when we had moved to Cape Town. At the tender age of 17, I got touched by the Holy Spirit. In 1994, and I'm going to read an excerpt from John Arnott. There's John and Carol Arnott in in, um, Toronto, and this whole thing was then dubbed the Toronto Blessing. And you might be thinking, Kathleen, why are you giving us a history lesson? Because you need to understand the foundations of this. Because if you don't understand the foundations, you're never going to know what we're building here or why we're building this way or where we're going. And so John, he actually, this was, this was an excerpt out of something in 1999 that he wrote about how they came to this place. And my in-laws were very much a part of and experienced the 1994 Toronto Blessing, and this church was planted out of that revival. So this is, you've got, we've got to understand the history of what God is doing. This is written by John Arnott. In September of 1992, when an evangelist came to town with a very anointed ministry, Carol and I knew we needed to attend his meetings. What we saw there jarred us into remembering that we have a very big God who is able to save, heal, and deliver. The lame walked, the blind received their sight, deaf ears were opened, and about a thousand people came to Christ. That's a good meeting. And we fell in love with Jesus all over again. Powerfully touched by this experience, we said to God, that's what we want, Lord. As we prayed for God's direction, we felt him say, if you are serious, I want you to do two things. Commit your mornings to prayer and interact with others who are anointed. We were serious. So in October 1992, we canceled our engagements and began giving our mornings to the Lord. We worshiped, we read the Bible, we prayed and spent time with him for a year and a half. We fell in love with him all over again. We also invited anointed guest speakers to our church. Their denomination didn't matter. It was if they were carrying their anointing. A real breakthrough came a year later. We heard about a revival in Argentina. So we traveled there in 1993 with Ed, Ed Silva, 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 uh, let's try that again, 
Silvasa. Silvasa, thank you. Hoping some of it would rub off on us. In one week, we attended meetings with many Argentine evangelists, among them Hector Gamerez, Carlos Anacondia, and finally Claudio Fredson, a leader with the Assemblies of God. Yes, even the Assemblies of God got touched in all of this. We were most powerfully touched at his meetings, and we left them knowing something had been imparted. Carol, who always received easily from God, was powerfully touched by the Spirit. She couldn't even walk. I'd always had a bit of a more difficult time receiving. And at one point, Claudio singled me out and said, do you want the anointing? I said, yes, I I want it. Then he said, take it. And something clicked in my heart at that moment. It was though I heard the Lord say, for goodness sake, will you take this? Take it. It's yours. I received more of the Holy Spirit's anointing and power by faith. Then he goes on, we all know the name Randy Clark. Um, John was good friends with Randy Clark, and he invited Randy to his church, and suddenly it started to break out. They realized that after one meeting, the Lord had moved so powerfully. But in it all, there is a name called Rodney Howard Brown. Randy Clark had too been seeking this anointing and revival. And then I, and he had been to Rodney Howard Brown's meetings in Tulsa. And I then asked Randy, well, if you've been to him, then you've got the anointing, you come to me. Which Randy was appalled because he said, I can't do four meetings, I've only got one preach. So they're like, well, you do the one preach and then we'll see what happens. Well, they weren't doing anything different. They had 120 people in the room. On January the 20th, 1994, the spirit broke out, and we couldn't contain it. That meeting became a meeting of six weeks, ran for six weeks. People streamed in from all over the world. Among them were many pastors and Christian leaders. They received prayer themselves and then carried that anointing to their own nations, and this got dubbed the Toronto Blessing. I just want to highlight something. What's going on in Canada right now is God remembering the foundations of revival that was set in place over Toronto. There was a prophecy that went out over the Toronto blessing that it would be a fire that would ignite the world. It's happening. Look at the effect that this convoy and these freedom fighters are having around the world. I was watching the most powerful video of a pastor, he, he doesn't have a very big church in, in, in Canada, and God said, go, go to the truckers, and he's been amongst them, and they keep calling him, and there's suddenly there's prayer meetings happening. Now, guys, this isn't like the peak of summer, okay, in Canada. We're sitting at minus 20. My brain stops working after 10, let alone minus 20, They're there. They are praying. They keep calling him. Everywhere he goes, oh, pastor, please pray. People, truckers are getting saved. People are getting saved. Revival starting on those streets. Don't believe anything that mainstream media is saying to you. Because that is not the report of heaven. The report of heaven is revival is here. Do you want it? We say yes. But do you want it? Let me tell you, a move of the Spirit is probably the most offensive thing you will ever go through. The Holy Spirit is offensive. He does things that offends. 
Laughing offends the religious spirit. How dare you laugh in church? Be serious. Offensive. I witnessed things when we moved to Cape Town in 1998. I joined the Bay, and at that stage, my in-laws, they had been to Rodney Howard Brown. Rodney Howard Brown had held some meetings at the Civic Center in Cape Town in 1992, and my mom-in-law was radically touched by the Holy Spirit. So much so, she could never be the same again, and they knew we have to plant a church and we have to build with the Spirit at the front which goes against everything they were ever taught in the Baptist church. It means control goes out the window. You've got to really hand things over. And then they actually went to Toronto. My in-laws flew to Toronto. They had had planted, oh, this was just before they planted the church. They flew to Toronto, and God got them again. And to this day, my mom-in-law, bless her, she's with Jesus. She's in the ultimate revival right now. But my father-in-law has never let go of the things of the Spirit. This is what this church is planted on. And this is something Sheldon and I will never let go of. But let me tell you, the move of God that is coming is going to be very different. What we experienced in 1998 as a very fresh-faced 17-year-old, I went on a summer camp. It was a good old New Frontier summer camp. Robin and Christine know them well. And I was eating lunch. We were eating lunch, and... One of the kids came running in, he's here, he's here. And I was like, oh my goodness, who's here? The Holy Spirit is here. What are you talking about? They met, we ran into the hall and there was just kids lying everywhere. It was, it was like carnage. And the moment I ran into that building, I was taken out. I can't explain it. I lay flat on that floor for hours. I can't even tell you what God was doing in me. I probably still to this day don't really even know, but he was changing me. And I used to laugh. I got a, I got a nickname in this church, Cackles. I would just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. I saw people get stuck to the floor. You can't make that stuff up. Can you pretend to be stuck to the floor? I watched a woman who was about my size stuck to the floor. I then watched five very big strapping men try and lift her up. Not a a thing happened. She stayed on that floor until God was done. I watched people laugh. I watched gold teeth appear. We had one service where my father-in-law had a torchlight with him. And he'd say, open and there's a, there it is, there it is. People were going to the dentist, having it verified that they'd had this gold tooth in. Oil was falling on people's hands. There was a woman, she used to preach, and she used to, remember, Mom, she used to brush her hair. And gold would just fall onto her Bible, layers of it, and she'd pour it out. Pretty weird, eh? Freaky. Pretty offensive, Right? What's the point? What's the point of gold falling on your Bible? And all I keep feeling is how dare we question God on how he moves. What's ever given us the right to question him? So let me tell you, there's a move coming. I don't know how it's going to manifest itself. I don't know what it's going to look like. But there's a few key things we learned from that move of God is that manifestations are not the sign that the Holy Spirit is moving. 
Not the more someone manifests means the more God is moving on that person. Because something very dangerous came out of that move. People were left feeling those who weren't falling down or laughing or there was a rejection that the the enemy slipped in with. Not even the Holy Spirit wants you. Not even God wants to touch you. My mom lamented this for many years. God didn't move on my mom like he moved on all the others. And we had many conversations about it until we realized, no, wait a minute, it's not about the manifestations. It's not about that. If you, there, I saw a lot of manifestations that were happening in the flesh. A lot. And you see, the enemy doesn't stop. He gets involved in everything. And then the attention of what God was doing was taken and put onto the manifestations. If we can keep our hearts pure and our eyes fixed on his glory, that's why I broke when you sang that song, Tina, Oh, the Glory. Because Rodney Howard Brown, he'd walk up and down and he'd start singing, Oh, the glory. And half the building would just fall out. This was such a power of the glory. You see, you have the anointing. I can operate under the anointing of the Lord, which means I can pray for people and God through me will heal them. That's the anointing. But the glory is something else altogether. That is something you cannot control and has got nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. And that is what we do here. We've we steward his glory. We make room for him to move. Because I'm sorry, the days of the, the Pentecostal evangelists marching up and down or the revivalists, it's not about them. It's about him. It's all about him. Beautiful, beautiful Jesus, our Savior. He is about to move. It's like the picture I kept getting is the hosts of heaven And they're on their horses, and they've ridden, and now they're just waiting. They've surrounded. It's almost like they're surrounding us. They're on the mountain ranges, and they're holding, and they're saying, yes, yes. And on a day, it's going to release. And last week, it started to release itself. Are we ready? I don't know. (laughs) If I'm honest, I don't know if I'm ready. Because it gets so messy. It's not ordered. There's no rhyme and reason to it. He just arrives. But you know what else I saw? I saw people who had been into strongholds and struggles for years. Once they were up off that floor, they were free. It was done by the power of the Spirit. Not by might. Not by power. But by these Spirit, said the Lord. That is what this church is planted on, is that scripture. That's our foundational word. I've now not stuck to any notes, of course. Well done. (laughs) Thanks, Anton. What precedes a revival? These are the things that will give the signs that a revival is coming. A time of darkness in society. A little bit dark out there right now? Hopelessness in people's hearts. 
too much knowledge, too little power. Dangerous. Hearts hungry for more of God. I see that in this church. A hunger for righteousness and a movement of prayer and repentance. So if we tick all of these, which we have, guess what's coming? Guess what's coming? That means that as the ecclesia, we don't have the luxury of keeping our heads in the sand. We don't have the luxury of going, oh, well, it is what it is, and, you know, we just carry on. Because, you see, when the enemy can keep us in the zone of survival, we will miss the revival. Anyone feeling like they're in survival zone? I felt like that for two years now. Every day, I feel like I've just existed just to, just to cope with the next day. How on earth can I think about a revival? What? It's too much. That's where the enemy has wanted the church. And I know that as the Bay City Church, we're standing up and we're saying, thus far and no further. Thus far and no further. It is about knowing what's going on in the world. Not to scare you, like Pat said. It's not about scaring you, but knowing, watching, watching for the signs. The signs are everywhere. I will hop on about this freedom convoy probably till the day I die because it is the start of a revolution. But you see, with a revolution, there needs to be a revival. God has prepped these hearts. He's prepped these hearts. There's such a cry from saved, unsaved, doesn't matter who, for righteousness. Not Christianity, righteousness. Righteous leaders who actually have the people's interests at heart. Not many dictators running around. Look at the power grabs going on in the world today. That's the enemy. So with all of this, and I'll end with this, comes the supernatural. Now, the supernatural is weird. It's got no rhyme or reason, and it can happen at any point. But you see, with the increase in supernatural activity, you get the increase of the demonic. Something I've noticed that I've never in all my years seen in 40 years is how the demonic are manifesting themselves right out in the open. I've watched a few videos now. One video, they caught a human trafficker on the southern border of America. That's not normal, by the way, to have an open border like that. That's not normal. That's the plan of the enemy, okay? Huge trafficking rings are doing, having a field day there, but God's moving. God's moving. They caught a trafficker. Yeah, a woman, maybe in her 40s. But what was interesting is these men now trying to figure out why she's behaving like she's behaving. So they've got her in one of their vans, and she's kind of half in. And as she looks up, she does one of these. And you can see them like, ma'am, you're going to have to get into the vehicle, ma'am. They're trying to push her in, and she's back at them. I mean, it's so demonic, it's frightening. I watched an abortion doctor, a doctor who performs abortions. He was videoed. So there's a lot of Christians that stand out of the abortion clinics in America. And he came out walking like this to the guy video. And this guy is saying to him, 
Sir, you know, what you're doing. I love what I do. Kill, kill, kill. And then the nurse from the, from the door calls him and he walks normally back. That's not normal. That's not to freak you out. That's not to scare you. It's to wake you up. It's happening. Because if the demonic are showing themselves, trust me, the angelic are showing themselves way more. Way more. The angelic are manifesting. The Lord is manifesting himself. There's nothing to fear about the demonic. The demonic will pop here too. Don't worry. We will deal with them. We will set you free. We will set you free. Sheldon and I were in Dubai um, a couple of years ago, and we were on a break between meetings, and we walked out of the hotel, and as we were walking, there was this little Indian man passing us, and as he got towards us, he threw himself on the back of the building, and and we were like, peace, and we walked on. That's all you have to do. You don't have to engage with it. It's there. It's going to manifest itself more and more, because we're the ecclesia. We're meant to root it out. We're meant to help with the cleanup operation. Nothing to be scared of. The other scary thing with the with supernatural, and you've got to watch what the enemy is doing, he's trying to explain it away using science and history. So some scientists with some historians got together, and they've said that actually the crossing of the Red Sea, it wasn't actually like a deep thing. It was like they crossed over six inches. The place where they crossed was like six inches of water. Okay. If it's six inches of water, right, and we have to refer back to the Bible. So you're telling me that grown men in chariots came to the six inches of water, threw themselves face first, and drowned themselves in six inches of water. Okay. And then are we saying that the horses watched the men drown themselves in six inches of water and they themselves flung themselves into six inches of water and drowned themselves? What's easier to believe? The God of heaven and earth who blew on those waters all night until they parted. Walls of water next to them as they walked. And then as the enemy crossed, it came crashing down. Don't get trapped into people explaining the supernatural away. There's been an increase in alien and UFO sightings. Don't know if you've noticed. Oh, my gosh. And you're just like, really? Have enemy sunk to that level? Don't be fooled. Test the spirits. Test them. Know them. Don't fear them. Does that make sense? We've got to talk about it. You've got to understand the supernatural. You've got to talk about it with your kids. We've told our kids time and time again, story after story, because I want them to experience it. And then I want them to know when they're experiencing I want them to know the truth because I've been told the truth. So I'm going to ask um, Tino if you could come back up. And in this moment, we're, we're going, I've been feeling, um, and Colleen as well, if you want to come up, Colleen.
That is, as we steward this moment of breaking bread, there, there was a strong sense of me this morning when I was praying of, if you are ready for this, you commit to God today and say, I'm ready for the revival. I can't say I feel completely ready, but I know that, you know what, I'm a hopeful Sally, this one. I am so hopeful. I'm hopeful that I'm going to see God's goodness in the land of the living. I'm hopeful that my prodigals are going to return. I'm hopeful that this church is going to fly and infect this whole nation. I'm hopeful because I know the Spirit of God is moving and He's releasing Himself once again on us. Are we ready? Are we ready? Thank you, Lord. Thanks, Kathleen. We had a word, a scripture um, during worship and before Colleen shares, because that also speaks into what you spoke into. Um, And this scripture speaks into what Pat brought. Um, Isaiah 40 verse 23. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown. No sooner do they take root in the ground. Then he blows them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. And increases the power of the weak. Do you see the contrast? He, he, he does away with the wicked rulers, but he gives strength to the weary. And he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and faint. But, and we all know this, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And this morning, as Colleen is sharing right now, I believe one of the reasons God allows His people to laugh is because that's a way of reviving us. That's a way of filling us up. Laughter releases something in our bodies that gives us strength. It releases endorphins. It makes us, it actually brings hope to us. And so laughter is a good medicine. We know that. And that is one way God strengthens the weary. So, Colleen, do you want to share with us just your testimony? Um, 16 years ago, uh, we lost, Dave and I lost our daughter and Corbus. And uh, we were at a church in Fishhook. No, we weren't really at a church anyway. We weren't in this church, but we were invited because there was a guest speaker coming. And so being... Uh, honored guests we were taken and sat in the front row and I was sitting we were sitting between Bob and Bubbles and Chris 
They'd just taken up the offering and uh, the guest speaker <clears throat> actually couldn't speak. He was known for this, that does happen. So we started to giggle. And then he pointed at David, my husband, and with that, David shot out of his chair, on his back, and across the floor. And I pointed to Bob, who was the treasurer. You see what you get for 20 rand, because we put 20 rand in the offering. So we all started to giggle. And then with that, David got up, and he sort of crawled along and grabbed hold of Chris's leg and pulled himself up into the chair and in the second row were a whole lot of people from our church and they were all staring at us but I haven't stopped laughing and you know having lost our daughter she was 31 um, I just know where she is but I'm no longer sad well I'm sad of course but God is so good he released that laughing like the the wells that were stopped he opened that well Thanks, Colleen. So um, I will just share the word that I felt God lay on my heart here during worship. I felt God say, my children, the time of snacking is over. You know when you are hungry and you go and snack, do you know in one hour you're hungry again? Because whatever you snack on doesn't fill you. God is saying the time of feasting has arrived. When we feast, we sit down, we take time, we take time out, we, we actually um, make time, <laughs> we dedicate time to feast, we plan time to feast, and we sit down and we feast, and God is saying the time of feasting is here and the time of snacking is over. Just coming and getting little bits, drips and drabs here of the Spirit is not going to sustain us in this time. We need to commit ourselves to feast on God and feast with God. When He pours out His power, when He pours out His presence, when He pours out His glory, we're going to have to be committed to feast. And He's saying the time of feasting has arrived. Amen. Amen. What more can you say? Will you just stand with me? Oh, sit. Um, just a, a word of knowledge for people this morning. And when God starts to move, there might be certain barriers. And I felt God say to the people here this morning who will not be to receive because of hurt in their hearts. Hurt because of other Christians have hurt you. Or hurt because you're blaming God for something. So I think as we're moving into a move of God, I think it's a time as you face these things, you'll hit a barrier if you don't lay down those hurts and that pain. So maybe the things you think of, as I say this, as we worship now, as we take communion, you can say, actually, time is up. For me, I'm not going to hold on to those things anymore because I want my heart to be right and righteous. And you won't receive what God's doing. In fact, you'll get even more pain and more hurt when God moves in crazy ways and things you don't understand. The psalmist said, and I want you to have this attitude. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness 
of my hands he has rewarded me. So lay those things. That's not righteous, what you're holding on to. The pain, blaming God, blaming others. Well, forget it, because you're the only one who's going to suffer and miss out on what God wants to do. For I have kept, the psalmist says, the ways of the Lord. He was facing opposition. I'm not guilty of turning from my God. So don't be guilty, even this morning. Some little hurt in your heart will cause you to be guilty of turning from God. All his laws are before me. I've not turned away from his decrees. I've been blameless before him. The Lord has, the Lord will reward me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands in his sight. Listen to this. To the faithful, God, to the faithful, you, God, will show yourself faithful. To the blameless, and you might be justified in thinking someone's hurt you, well, forget it, because God's dealt with it on the cross. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. Take those things, stand before God this morning, and receive what God wants to do. Don't let that hurt be a barrier to God, what God's going to do amongst us. Sure. Amen. Are you hearing what he's saying? What God is speaking so clearly about? If you can stand with me. You know, revival is not for the unsaved. Did you know that? Did you know that? It's for the church. Because when we are revived, we are irresistible. And the prodigals come pouring in. And they're coming. And we must be ready. 